Listen to any earnings call with the Borsa Earnings Call mobile app now available on the App Store. Check the show notes for the download link. Good afternoon. My name is Christina, and I will be your conference operator today. Welcome to NVIDIA's Financial Results Conference Call. All lines have been placed on mute. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer period. At this time, if you'd like to ask a question, please press star then the number one on your telephone keypad. To withdraw your question, press the pound key. Thank you. I'll now turn the call over to Simona Jankowski, Vice President of Investor Relations, to begin your conference. Thank you. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to NVIDIA's conference call for the fourth quarter of fiscal 2019. With me on the call today from NVIDIA are Jensen Huang, President and Chief Executive Officer, and Colette Kress, Executive Vice President and Chief Financial Officer. I'd like to remind you that our call is being webcast live on NVIDIA's Investor Relations website. The webcast will be available for replay until the conference call to discuss our financial results for the first quarter of fiscal 2020. The content of today's call is NVIDIA's property. It can be reproduced or transcribed without our prior written consent. During this call, we may make forward-looking statements based on current expectations. These are subject to a number of significant risks and uncertainties, and our actual results may differ materially. For a discussion of factors that could affect our future financial results and business, please refer to the disclosure in today's earnings release, our most recent forms 10-K and 10-Q, and the reports that we may file on Form 8-K with the Securities and Exchange Commission. All our statements are made as of today, February 14, 2019, based on information currently available to us. Except as required by law, we assume no obligation to update any such statements. During this call, we will discuss non-GAAP financial measures. You can find a reconciliation of these non-GAAP financial measures to GAAP financial measures in our CFO commentary, which is posted on our website. With that, let me turn the call over to Colette. Thanks, Simona. As you know, we lowered our fourth quarter guidance on January 28th, and our results are in line with that pre-announcement. Q4 revenue was $2.21 billion, down 24% from a year earlier, driven primarily by a 45% year-on-year decline in gaming. Full-year revenue was $11.72 billion, up 21% from a previous year. Starting with our gaming business, revenue of $954 million was down 45% year-on-year and down 46% sequentially. Weaker than our expectations heading into the quarter. Full-year revenue was up 13% to $6.25 billion. Three factors contributed to the Q4 gaming revenue decline. First, post-crypto inventory of GPUs in the channel caused us to reduce shipments in order to allow excess channel inventory to sell through. We expect channel inventories to normalize in Q1 in line with one to two quarter timeline we had outlined on our previous earnings call. Second, deteriorating macroeconomic conditions, particularly in China, impacted consumer demand for our GPUs. And third, sales of certain high-end GPUs using our new Turing architecture, including the GeForce RTX 2080 and 2070, were lower than we expected for the launch of a new architecture. These products deliver a revolutionary leap in performance and innovation with real-time ray tracing and AI, but some customers may have delayed their purchase while waiting for new, for lower price points or further demonstrations of the RTX technology in actual games. The significant volatility in our gaming business over the last few quarters has been challenging to model. Crypto mining demand and its after effects have distorted the quarter-to-quarter trends in the gaming business and obscured its underlying trend line. Let me try to give you some visibility into what we believe the normalized business looks like. As you know, our gaming business consists of desktop gaming, notebook gaming, and gaming console products. To get a sense of the underlying run rate in our gaming business last year, it is helpful to look at desktop gaming revenue across a period that doesn't include crypto demand. Let's look at the four quarters starting from Q2 of last year to the current quarter, or Q1 of this year. In Q2 and Q3 of last year, with the benefit of hindsight, we shipped a higher amount of desktop gaming products relative to wear and demand 
turned out to be. To allow the channel to work down that excess channel inventory, we shipped a lower amount relative to end demand in Q4, and we'll do so again in Q1. Therefore, exiting Q1, we expect channel inventories to be at normal levels. On average, our desktop gaming revenue across these four quarters is about $900 million. We believe this represents the normalized level of desktop gaming for this period. Notebook gaming and gaming consoles have averaged close to $500 million per quarter over these same four quarters. Thus, in total, we believe our normalized quarterly gaming business revenue run rate is approximately $1.4 billion. As we look past Q1, we expect the channel inventory correction to be behind us and our business to have bottomed. On a full year basis, we expect our gaming business to be down slightly given the tough first half compares with growth in Turing and notebook gaming. At CES last month, we launched into the recovery of our gaming business. We announced the GeForce RTX 2060 at the mid-range price point of 349. And the 2060 delivers a 60% performance improvement over the GTX 1060, while also bringing Turing's real-time ray tracing and AI features to the mass market for the first time. The 2060 has received rave reviews and is off to a great start. In addition, we announced a record of 40-plus new Turing-based gaming laptops, which became available on January 29th. This is more than double the number of GeForce-powered notebooks in the market last year. Featuring the energy efficiency of the Turing architecture, thin and light laptops are able to deliver the performance of desktop gaming BCs. We expect GeForce laptops to continue to be the fastest growing segment of gaming. We are also pleased to see growing momentum in the RTX ecosystem. As more game developers are creating content to take advantage of the Turing architecture's amazing capabilities. Just this week, DLSS technology is becoming available in two blockbuster games, Battlefield 5 and Metro Exodus and Anthem coming soon. In addition, at CES, Justice and Atomic Heart showed demos featuring ray tracing and DLSS, and a large pipeline of games planned to integrate RTX technology. Pairing DLSS with ray tracing can provide comparable frame rates to traditional rasterization, but also much more beautiful cinematic visuals, the best of both worlds. This is the next generation of gaming. While this was a challenging quarter in our gaming business, we look forward to putting the channel inventory correction behind us and building on the solid foundation of our Turing architecture. Moving to data center. Revenue was 679 million, up 12% year on year and down 14% sequentially. Full year data center revenue was 2.93 billion, up a strong 52%. The Q4 sales decline was broad-based across vertical and markets and geographies. As the quarter progressed, customers around the world became increasingly cautious due to rising economic uncertainty, and a number of deals did not close in January. In addition, hyperscale and cloud purchases declined both sequentially and year-on-year, -year, as several customers paused at the end of the year. We believe the pause is temporary. The strength of NVIDIA's accelerated computing platform remains intact. We continue to lead the industry in performance for scientific computing and deep learning. And with CUDA's programmability, we can continue to expand the value of our platform. For example, we recently announced RAPID's CUDA acceleration stack for data analytics and machine learning. In December, the first objective third-party AI benchmark called MLPerf became available, and NVIDIA captured the top spots in the six test categories for training deep learning models that we competed in. And in January, Google Cloud announced that NVIDIA T4 Tensor Core GPUs are now available in beta in its data centers in the US, Europe, Brazil, India, Singapore, and Tokyo. The T4 is a universal cloud GPU that accelerates a variety of workloads 
including high-performance computing, deep learning training, and inference, broader machine learning, data analytics, and graphics. Our visibility remains low in the current cautious spending environment, and we don't forecast a meaningful recovery in the data center segment until later in the year. However, we are working closely with hyperscales around the world to integrate NVIDIA Tensor RT software and Tensor Core GPUs into their inference production flow. Inference currently drives less than 10% of our data center business, but represents a significant expansion of our addressable market opportunity going forward. We have also strengthened our product portfolio and go-to-market capabilities to address vertical industries that have an enormous data and analytics requirements, such as automotive, financial services, retail, healthcare, and consumer internet services. With our RAPIDS software stack, NVIDIA can accelerate data analytics and machine learning and we have, as we have done in deep learning. And we made it easier for customers to adopt our technology by partnering with Cisco, IBM, NetApp, and Pure Storage to create pre-integrated systems that can be sold through their global IT channels. Moving to pro visualization, Revenue reached $293 million, up 15% from the prior year and down 4% sequentially. Full-year revenue was $1.13 billion, up 21% year-on-year. New applications like data science, AI, and VR, as well as the need for thin and light mobile workstations remain key ghost drivers for the business. We had key wins in the quarter, including Boeing, Google, LinkedIn, and Toyota for applications including AI and robotics. This past week, with our partners HP, Dell, Lenovo, we announced the availability of Quadro RTX workstations. Quadro RTX is the most significant workstation GPU upgrade in 10 years. It will enable millions of designers and creative artists for the first time to work interactively with super high resolution media and photorealistic 3D rendering, enabling them to be creative with dramatically improved productivity. Finally, turning to automotive. Q4 revenue was $163 million, up 23% from a year ago and down 5% sequentially. Full-year revenue reached $641 million, up 15%. The sequential decline was largely seasonal. The year-on-year -year growth was driven by the increasingly adoption of next-generation AI cockpit solution and autonomous vehicle development deals, partially offset by declines in legacy infotainment. Last month at CES, we announced Drive Autopilot, the world's first commercially available Level 2 Plus self-driving car computer. This system offers sophisticated automated driving features that far surpass today's ADAS offerings, increasingly increasing the vehicle's performance, functionality, and road safety while the driver remains in control. To deliver these capabilities, Drive Autopilot uses multiple deep neural networks, surround camera perception both in and outside of the car, and significant AI processing capability. Systems from our Tier 1 partners, including Bosch, Continental, Vionier, and Zeta, were all on display at our booth. Volvo, as announced back in October, was our first Level 2 Plus design win with cars slated for production in the early 2020s. Mercedes-Benz has also chosen NVIDIA for its next-generation autonomous vehicle and cockpit computer. This centralized AI computing system replaces dozens of smaller processors inside current cars. Drive Autopilot is a major milestone for NVIDIA and takes our high-functioning self-driving capability into the mass market. This will be an important year for robo-taxi pilots in initial level two design wins. Moving to the rest of the P&L and balance sheet. Q4 GAAP gross margins was 54.7% and non-GAAP was 56.0%, down sequentially and year-on-year -year primarily due to a 128 million charge for DRAM boards and other components associated with our lower than expected Q4 revenue and current market conditions. GAAP operating expenses were $913 million, and non-GAAP operating expenses were $755 million. 
of 25% and 24% year-on-year, respectively. Gap EPS was $0.92, cents, down 48% from a year earlier. Full-year Gap EPS was $6.63, up 38% from the prior year. Non-Gap EPS was $0.80, cents, down 53% from a year ago. Full-year non-Gap EPS was $6.64, up 35% from the prior year. We returned $1.95 billion to shareholders in the fiscal year through a combination of quarterly dividends and share repurchases. As we announced last quarter, we plan to return $3 billion to shareholders through the end of fiscal 2020 in the form of dividends and buybacks. We repurchased $700 million during the fourth quarter of fiscal 2019. With that, let me turn to the outlook for the first quarter of fiscal 2020. We expect revenue to be $2.2 billion, plus or minus 2%. Gap and non-gap gross margins are expected to be 58.8% and 59%, respectively, plus or minus 50 basis points. Gap and non-gap operating expenses are expected to be approximately $930 million and $755 million, respectively. Gap and non-gap OINE are both expected to be an income of $20 million. Gap and non-gap tax rates are both expected to be 10%, plus or minus 1%, excluding discrete items. Capital expenditures are expected to be approximately $150 million to $170 million. For, for fiscal 2020, we expect Q1 to mark the bottom as we pass the inventory correction in gaming. We expect total revenue for the year to be flat to down slightly with growth in our 4N markets compensating for the absence of crypto revenue and the excess selling from last year. We plan to grow OPEX in the high single digits this year, and we continue to invest in our focus growth areas of graphics, AI, and self-driving cars. Further financial details are included in the CFO commentary and other information is available on our IR website. In closing, I'd like to highlight upcoming events for the financial community. We'll be presenting at the Morgan Stanley Technology, Media, and Telecom Conference on February 26th, and our next earnings call to discuss our financial results for the quarter of fiscal 2020 take place on May 15th. We will now open the call for questions. Operator, would you please take a question? Thank you. And at this time, if you'd like to ask a question, please press star then the number one on your telephone keypad. And our first question comes from the line of Toshir Hari with Goldman Sachs. Great. Uh, thank you so much for, for taking the question. I had two questions. Um, first, Colette, uh, you talked about the weakness you saw in the 2070 and the 2080 in the quarter. Um, I guess this, this question is more for Jensen. Are, are you concerned at all about your ability to, to convince and incentivize gamers to upgrade? Or, you know, as, as Colette pointed out, it's more of a timing thing. And the second question is, inventory was up on the balance sheet. Colette, if you can just provide some color there and uh, expectations going forward. Thank you. Yeah, Toshia, um, when we launched the 2070 and 2080, it was the first time we've ever launched a new generation where the only available SKUs were very high end. And in addition to that, the early, the early boards that came out into the marketplace um, were the were the special edition and the overclocked versions. And the MSRP versions didn't show up uh, for some short time after, so, you know, a couple of months after. And so, so the, the conditions weren't, weren't ideal, if you will. Um, now, we weren't able to, to launch into the mainstream segment with 2060 for all the reasons that I think everybody understands now. And, and so I think that the, the situation wasn't, wasn't ideal. When you take a look at look at our situation, though, every single every single graphics card had the best performance at its price point, and it remains so today. And and I think that right out of the box, uh, it delivered excellent performance. It is true that that everybody was hoping uh, to see more games with RTX on day one, but it's such a new technology with ray tracing and AI for uh, image processing that it's only really possible to make available with new games, which is tied to the schedules of new games. And now they're starting to come out. 
Battlefield 5, uh, Metro Exodus. I think the, 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 the reviews from this week are just spectacular. People are finally realizing uh, what it is that we were talking about and that it's possible with RTX technology, the combination of applying ray tracing and AI for us to deliver much more beautiful images without sacrificing uh, performance. To understand now the benefits of the RTX technology, and we just we just needed some time to demonstrate, and we just we just needed some time to demonstrate it. And I think the takeaway is simply this: RTX is the best graphics card at every single price point, without using ray tracing technology. And for new games that are coming out, each one of the new games that that uh, come out in the future will apply ray tracing, work with developers to apply ray tracing technology. I think everybody agrees that it's the, surely the next generation. And then probably one of the biggest stories that came out just last week is Unreal Engine and Unity, both of the game engines are going to incorporate RTX and ray tracing technology in the engine itself. And so all future games in the future will be able to take advantage of that. So that's a really big news and I'm excited about that. So, Toshia, to answer your second question regarding our inventory balance, our inventory balance at the end of Q4 uh, rose just due to the weaker-than-expected finish uh, to Q4. Our inventory right now is primarily related to Turing, Volta, and DGX, uh, and we don't expect any further write-downs um, as we have incorporated approximately 128 million of write-downs within the current Q4. Your next question is from CJ Muse with Evercore. Yeah, good afternoon. Thanks for taking my question. I guess on the, the commentary regarding a pause in spending in data center and a handful of deals that, that got delayed, um, can, can you give a little bit more color in terms of, I guess, what you're seeing across enterprise, cloud, uh, high-performance compute? Uh, and I guess within that, um, you know, how you're seeing the ramp of T4. And, and I guess if, if you can kind of then speak to, uh, I'm sure embedded in, in the fiscal 20 guide is, is a pretty nice ramp into the second half. Um, what are the key drivers, uh, key milestones that you're looking for um, to see that uh, that business reaccelerate higher um, as we go through the year? Yeah, hi, CJ. Uh, the the slowdown is broad-based. We we saw it across every vertical, every geography. Uh, there was just a, there was just a level of cautiousness across all of the enterprise customers. Um, and the cloud service providers that, that we've not experienced in a while. And um, uh, I, I think that it's, it's, it has to be temporary. The computing needs of Earth is, is, uh, is not certainly been satisfied with what was shipped last quarter. And so I, I think that, that um, uh, the demand will return and customers will, will, uh, will return. Uh, our, our, our situation in, in data centers uh, is dramatically better year over year. And if you take a look at where we are, uh, our deep learning solution is is uh, unquestionably the best in the world. Uh, we introduced T4 with inference capability. It's the world's first universal cloud GPU, and it, could, it does everything that everything that NVIDIA does, all in one GPU and 75 watts. And so it fits into every hyperscale data center. We're engaged with, with uh, Internet service providers all around the world, uh, optimizing and porting their uh, high production models, networks, so that we could deploy it into production. Uh, so there, we now have four different new growth drivers for, um, uh, for our data center, in addition to deep learning and scientific computing. We have inference that we're actively working on. We have data analytics that's called RAPIDS, uh, some people call it big data, but data analytics and machine learning. The third is rendering. And because of the partnerships that we've developed and the excitement that people see around uh, enterprises around the world, we've developed partnerships uh, with uh, large IT companies to pre-configure systems that make it easier for enterprises to be able to adopt our technology. So we have four new ways for us to grow our enterprise business. And so we're, uh, we're uh, looking forward to uh, when the pause uh, releases and, and uh, we'll get back to growing. And your next question comes from the line of Vivek Arya with uh, Bank of America, Merrill Lynch. Uh, thanks for taking my question. I just had a 
clarification and, and a question on, on the clarification. Uh, gross margins, uh, Colette, what, what is the uh, normalized run rate for uh, gross margins as, as you get your sales back to normalized levels? Uh, how should we think about the trajectory of gross margins and, and will there be any impact uh, from the balance sheet um, inventory? And then on the question, um, Jensen, can you give us more reassurance that gaming is still a growth business? That I understand that over the last year there's been a lot of uh, you know confusion. There's been macro issues, but um, if you look at the number of gamers and the mix of products that uh, that they're buying, so essentially the sell through to gamers, has that been on an upward um, trajectory? And, and as part of that, when do you think we could see Turing exceed uh, the demand you saw for uh, Pascal? Thank you. So I'll go first. Uh, thanks for the question um, on gross margin. Uh, our gross margin, the largest contributor uh, to our absolute gross margin is really just the mix of our products. Uh, the mix of our products uh, based on our market platforms, but also the mix of our products even within data center as well as within gaming. Uh, we provided guidance for Q1, which um, has a good uh, level of uh, confidence from us, um, and we'll see how it goes from there. Hi, Vivek. The, um, the fundamentals of gaming has not changed. There are more gamers than ever. Uh, games are better than ever. There's been a recent shift in, in the popularity of uh, multiplayer, competitive uh, eSports-like games. That's, that's good, for, good for hardware. Uh, it lowers the barrier to entry because it's free to play um, with the exception of downloadable content. And so the barriers to entry is lower. Um, but you could see that the excitement around Fortnite and recently with um, Apex Legend, uh, PUBG is still popular, Le uh, League of Legends is still popular. And so this genre of games, this genre of games is both, both uh, competitive, requires great hardware. Uh, it um, uh, attracts a lot more players because, because it's social and you want to play with your friends, and it's much stickier because it happens to be social. It happens to be a game where you have to play with a whole bunch of other people. And so, so I think that, that gaming is vibrant as ever before. If you take uh, the methodology that Colette described earlier and, and you, you averaged out um, our, our underlying uh, gaming uh, business and you compare that to a year before, uh, Surely it grew. If you compare that, um, if you compare also uh, the rate at which our gaming notebook is growing, I think that's pretty exciting. I think last year, and we had mentioned it before, that our gaming notebook business grew 50% year over year. And this, just at CES, the number of new notebook designs that uh, came out with Turing because of an invention that we, we created called MaxQ and because of the energy efficiency of the Turing architecture, you can, now make, you can now make notebooks that are really wonderful and also high performing at the same time. And so I think the dynamics are, are, um, are, are the same and, and uh, gaming is gonna continue to be a growth business. And your next question comes from the line of John Pitzer with Credit Suisse. Yeah, good afternoon, guys. Thanks for letting me ask the question. Colette, I appreciate all the data you gave us on trying to size normalized demand for gaming. Um, what, I, what I have to ask, though, is, is if you're going, still going through channel inventory worked out in fiscal first quarter, it seems like to hit your four-year guide, the expectation is for gaming revenue to accelerate well above that normalized level you talked about. What am I doing the math right? And if I am, kind of what gives you confidence throughout the year that you can see that kind of gaming growth off of these bottoms? Um, I'll start and I'll let uh, Jensen uh, finish that question. Um, so along the lines of uh, Jensen's response in terms of what we do believe are the key drivers of gaming and everything still intact um, in terms of gaming, uh, both with our Turing architecture, uh, the growth expected with our Turing architecture, as well as the growth from the notebooks, uh, we do believe uh, will be great drivers um, as we head into the rest of the year. Uh, we'll have to wait and see in terms of how that uh, plays out, but that is really the underlying reason uh, why the growth will continue. Yeah, I, I think the, um, 
uh, your math isn't wrong. The 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 part that that um, uh, that you probably didn't consider is is notebook. No, our GeForce notebook business is quite large. That's helpful, Jim. And then maybe as a follow up, just on the data center side, I, clearly you've talked about new applications that should help grow your TAM inside a data center. I'm just kind of curious. The calendar fourth quarter of last year, I think, marked the first time that a competitor competitor had some meaningful volumes of GPU in the data center. We, you know, there's always talk about the hyperscale guys wanting to do their own ASICs. What kind of anecdotal evidence can you give us to help us get more comfortable that what's going on here is more macro and not share loss either to competition and or architectural differences between GPUs uh, and ASICs? Uh, we, we don't see them in, in high-performance computing. And so, so I, I, haven't found, I haven't found where, where uh, uh, we, haven't, we haven't met them in high-performance computing and deep learning and uh, in the areas that we serve. And so, so competitively, uh, I, can't, I can't, I don't really, we don't see it. Um, but, but the bigger picture, I think, is this, that, that the, market, the market segments that we serve, whether it's in deep learning, machine learning, data analytics, um, those segments are are really quite large, and and I think that it is unquestionably the future of high performance computing is going to be highly data driven, both computational methods, algorithmic methods, as well as data driven methods, and so I, I think the, the the fundamental trend has not changed. We have four new growth drivers, four new ways to grow in the data center. Um, the first one, of course, is inference. We're making a lot of progress there. T4 is doing great. Uh, I think we're going to be quite successful with with T4s. Um, you, you know, you just got to keep saying that it has second generation tennis, tensor core, 75 watts, and you can use it for training, you can use it for inference, you could use it for uh, remote graphics, you could use it for high performance computing, and it fits literally into any hyperscale data center. Uh, the second way is data analytics. This is a brand new thing for us. Uh, you you must you must know that that um, uh, big data and and using data to uh, predict uh, dynamics in the marketplace is, is really important in retail and e-tail and uh, healthcare and financial services. And, and uh, there's never been an accelerated approach to solve this problem for people. And because of the flexibility of CUDA and because of the performance of our architecture, uh, over the course of last year, we re-engineered the entire data analytics stack so that we can accelerate it. It's called RAPIDS. Uh, that work is really, really important, and, and I, hope to, I hope to give you guys updates on that on a regular basis. Uh, rendering is a brand-new market for us because of Turing. Finally, we can, we can render photorealistic images and accelerate away. There are millions of servers in the world that are driving render farms, and they're getting upgraded on, on a regular basis. And then lastly, uh, we've, we've been successful with, with uh, um, CSPs because they're easy for us to reach. But the world's enterprises are far and many, and um, uh, and they're giant industries. And our our company's uh, sales coverage doesn't doesn't uh, allow us to reach every single healthcare company and every single insurance company and retail company. And that's where our network of partners really come in. You know, we have great partnerships with HP. We have great partnerships with Dell and Cisco and IBM. And now we've developed uh, relationships with the storage vendors. Uh, so that, and the reason for that is because most of these da big data problems require a great deal of storage, and they both, they all see, they see the the opportunities that we've created, and um, and we came together to uh, create uh, pre-configured systems that are optimized and tuned, and, and you know these high-performance systems that you can just bring into the company, um, prop up and install, and we're seeing a lot of great success with that. And so we have four different ways to grow our data center business, and, uh, and we're enthusiastic about it. I'm optimistic about it. And your next question comes from the line of Timothy Arcuri with UBS. Thanks a lot. Um, first, I had a clarification, Colette. Uh, I just wanted to clarify what the mix is assumed for the fiscal Q1 guidance. Are you kind of assuming that data center and gaming are both kind of flat sequentially? And then I guess my question was, um, can you help us sort of shape the revenue through the year? Um, you know, to get to your full year guidance, you have to add roughly maybe a billion three, a billion five um, from, you know, where you are in fiscal Q1. How does that shape through the year? Thanks. 
Yeah, um, our guidance uh, for the next quarter um, is a makeup of many different types of options across our market uh, segment platforms. We feel confident um, in terms of that roll-up um, uh, as we provide the guidance today, and we'll just have to see how that um, ends out. Uh, with the expectation that we will be flat or slightly down for the full year, uh, you are correct um, in some uh, pace that we're going to have to build up to that um, over the course of the uh, several next quarters. Um, likely, uh, the second half of the year uh, will definitely be stronger than the first half of the year, um, and that is our expectation at this time. Yeah, Tim, the, 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 one of the things to keep in mind is that we have four growth drivers. We have four growth businesses. Our data center business is growing. Uh, it's, it's unquestionably that our, our footprint is larger than ever. Our Provis business is growing. Our workstation business now has three ways to grow. Uh, one is rendering. The second is uh, data, science, data scientists are now a workstation customer. That has never happened before. And our, uh, our, our um, software stack with Turing uh, turns a workstation into, a, into an ideal data science workstation. And the third is uh, finally we're able to make workstations into notebooks. And they're delightfully thin using all the same technologies that, that uh, talked about for gaming notebooks. And so workstations is a growth business. And then lastly, our automotive, automotive is going to be a gross, growth business. Uh, we've been investing, as you know, in uh, self-driving cars. And, and uh, this year we announced entry into Level 2 Plus, our first uh, foot into, uh, into uh, the mainstream marketplace of autonomous vehicles. And the first design one is Volvo, and we have others to announce. And so I think this is going to be a, this is going to be a good year for, for uh, self-driving cars as well. So we have four growth businesses. Our four core businesses are all growing. And your next question comes from line is Stacey Rasgon with Bernstein Research. Hi, guys. Thanks for taking my questions. Um, first, I wanted to get again at the mix next where you, Colette, you would, this is a question for Colette. You had said that mix was going to be the primary driver of your gross margins. And I know that sequentially they're up, but if I correct for the inventory write down in Q4, the normalized gross margin this quarter was 61.7. And so you're guiding it to 59, so it's down 270 basis points sequentially on flat revenues. So do I take from that guidance that that's an indicator of the mix between the businesses that's the primary driver of that gross margin degradation? Is there something else going on that we should be aware of? Uh, thanks, uh, Stacey. We'll start with that first question on gross margin. Uh, you are correct. Mix is still the primary driver of our gross margin every single quarter. You have correctly uh, reduced um, or, excuse me, changed um, our Q4 numbers to remove the overall inventory write-down. Uh, so when you look at Q1, uh, there is a mix uh, around our products that we plan on shipping um, by platforms, but also within our gaming business and within our data center business. We also have different gross margins that will influence. This is our best estimate that we have um, at this time, and uh, we'll see at the end of the quarter. So what do you think the bigger, between those two, whether it's intra-business mix or inter-business mix, between the businesses or within the businesses, which one, of those, which one of those is the biggest driver of the gross margin degradation sequentially into Q1? Um, I think it's more on the inter um, uh, pieces. Now keep in mind our, our, our Q4 um, has a very low percentage of uh, gaming um, as a total uh, in terms of there, and then a different mix within there um, as we move to the next quarter as well. So you think it's the mix between the businesses with then, like you said, inter. Is that mix between the businesses that you think is the bigger driver then? The mix of the intra, both within the segments as well mm -hmm. as between the segments. Okay, thank you. Um, for my follow-up, you know, Jensen, you and, and Colette, I guess you mentioned your data center was growing, but if I've got full-year revenues sort of flat to down slightly and I've got gaming revenues down a bit, like you said, and I have ProVis and Auto growing, it's kind of really hard for me within the envelope of that guidance to get data center growing much, if at all. I mean, it could even be down within that. I mean, how are you thinking about the idea of data center growing within the context of the four-year guidance that you've given? Well, in the short term, in the near term, we have relatively limited visibility. Um, we, we don't think it's going to remain this way. 
And with a, with a little bit of tailwind, um, I think we could have a fairly good year. And so we'll just see how it turns out. Uh, you know, this is, our, this is our year guidance for now, and we'll, you know, we'll update you as we go. Uh, the, the fundamental dynamics doesn't change. The fact of the matter is the world needs more computing. And a lot of that computing is related to machine learning, data analytics, deep learning. It's related to the things that we're working on. And we have four new ways to grow our data center business. I think our deep learning position is as good as ever. Our scientific computing position is as good as ever. And we have, we have four new ways to grow. We have inference, we have data analytics and machine learning, we have rendering, and now we're taking that entire stack uh, to the enterprise. And so I, I think we have, we, have, uh, we have the right strategy, uh, we have the best platform, and the utilization, the utility of it is really fantastic. And so with a little bit of tailwind, I think we could have a fairly good year, and we'll just report it as we go. And your next question comes from the line of Joe Moore with Morgan Stanley. Great, thank you. Um, I wanted to ask about, again, competition in data center. You know, AMD on their call had talked about graphics uh, in their data center business being uh, as big as server, which is sort of north of $100 million a quarter, uh, which surprised me. My sense is they're doing quite a bit different applications than you guys are, but maybe you could just give us some context around, uh, you know, what they're doing and, and how you see the competition coming uh, from within other graphics vendors. Uh, our, our data center business is really focused on computing, and um, we, we just don't, we don't see anybody. We, you know, our primary competitor is CPUs. That's really the, 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 the starting of it and the ending of it. And, and, um, and it's very clear. You know, the vast majority of the world's data center uh, only runs on CPUs today. Um, but, the, but the advance of technology has slowed, and um, uh, it's creeping along at a few percent a year, and, and unfortunately, that's just not good enough. And so either data centers are going to continue to increase in CapEx, um, or, or uh, they're going to have to find a new approach. And I think people are, are fairly enthusiastic about university, about uh, about accelerated computing, and I think our position is really quite good. And, and so I, I would say that those are, those are largely um, uh, the positions. If you think about uh, competitively uh, comparing our GPU to a competitor's latest GPU, I think the expectation was really high and, and uh, didn't turn out quite that way. I think our, we've, we've, uh, we've established that the Turing uh, energy efficiency is much better. I think we've established that, that uh, NVIDIA's Tensor Core architecture, uh, as a result, allows our Volta to be four times the performance of the highest end of the alternative. And the T4 is one-fourth the power at the same performance. And so, so the, the, the benefit of having great architectural advantage, uh, a, a really rich software stack, and an engineer and and engineering that resulted in the energy efficiency that, that uh, we've achieved, uh, generation in, generation out, I think, I think those, are, those are really great advantages. And then lastly, because of the, the, the broad reach of our architecture, an OEM or a cloud service provider can adopt our architecture, and the utility of it is going to be greater because there's just a lot more applications. And the best way to reduce cost for any utility is to increase its utility. And I think that, that's, um, uh, that our position there is really strong, as you could imagine. And your next question comes from the line of Matt Ramsey with Cohen. Um, thank you very much. Good afternoon. Um, I have a, just a couple of questions. Um, the first one, Jensen, it seemed like I mean, the, the Turing platform is delivering some amazing results, but as you talked about, relying on some new software features to do it. Um, I wonder if you might talk about um, any steps you're taking in the roadmap to really upgrade performance for the installed base of games, um, given, and given the time that it might take for some of those software features to roll out. Um, and then secondly, um, you noted in the pre-announcement something about the write-down having to do with DRAM, um, and obviously that commodity pricing has been volatile. Uh, Colette, is there anything you can talk about um, about how big of an effect that might have on the business 
and on pricing overall. Thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot, Matt. Uh, first of all, the Turing architecture is the highest performing architecture at every single price point, and it's a big jump from our last generation in every single way. Without ray tracing, the Turing architecture is the, the first GPU to do concurrent floating point and integer operations at the same time. The instruction per clock of the Turing processor is so much better than our last generation, so much better than what's available in the marketplace. Um, the cache architecture is a big improvement. And you can just see it in all of the existing games. If you just measure the existing games without touching anything, Turing gives you a big boost. And that's before we talked about ray tracing. Um, and we've already spoken about ray tracing earlier, Matt, and, and we know that every single game that are coming out, we're working with the developers to, to incorporate RTX technology and, and, um, and, and, and a very, very big deal. Uh, both Epic with Unreal Engine and Unity Engine are going to incorporate ray tracing. It is very, very clear that the next generation of computer graphics is ray tracing, and all of the work that we've done with RTX to, to move the industry forward is well worth it. But remember, that's just the graphics part of Turing. Turing comes with it several new opportunities for growth for us. The first is, of course, uh, advancing games. Uh, advancing games for notebooks, advancing computer graphics, photorealistic rendering for film, um, uh, all the work that we've done with TensorCore that we just talked about. It's our second generation TensorCore, making it great for training as well as inference, a big leap for us for inference. And then lastly, all of the work that we're doing for data analytics and machine learning uh, will take advantage of all of the capabilities of Turing. And so Turing is is a big deal for us. And that's one of the reasons why it's, you know, last year was so busy for us as we, as we put Turing into workstations, into data centers, into clouds, into, you know, rendering, into video games. And so Turing is really a, a gigantic leap for us architecturally. We're really excited about it. So it's just, you know, I think the, the, the turbulent Q4 um, uh, kind of overshadowed all of it, but in the final analysis, I think Turing was a home run for us. And to also answer your question regarding uh, DRAM prices, uh, yes, they have definitely been volatile um, over uh, the historical period. Um, it is great to see them uh, coming down in price. Over the long term, yes, that is uh, beneficial uh, to us from a gross margin perspective. Uh, so if we look out to the horizon later, uh, we will probably be able to incorporate that into our gross margin. And your next question comes from the line of Aaron Rakers with Wells Fargo. Yeah, thanks for uh, taking the questions. Kind of building on the discussion around the Turing platform and particularly to the gaming market. Um, I'm curious, you mentioned in your prepared comments, you know, pricing uh, of these new solutions was a, a bit of an inhibitor. Has the company invoked any changes in their pricing strategy around Turing? Then also I'd be interested is, you know, can you help us frame how important China is? Uh, to the gaming segment, and, and whether or not you're assuming that the China market rebounds uh, in your in your annual assumption. Uh, first of all, the, the uh, on the pricing part, the biggest inhibitor was that we didn't have we couldn't launch our mid-range segment. The inability to launch 2060 was a big inhibitor for us, uh, but mm -hmm. we did so at CES. Uh, the, the launch is a great success. The reviews are fantastic. People love 2060. The price point's great. And so, so now we have, we have a great stack um, from, from, uh, from the mid-range all the way to, to enthusiasts. Uh, the, other, the other part, which, which could have turned out better, is at the time of the launch, there were so many special editions and there were so many overclocked versions um, that, that the price point appeared high. But now uh, we have MSRP, pricing for all of our segments. And so that's terrific. Uh, China's an important market. China's an important market, and it's, uh, it's an important gaming market. And I have every confidence it's going to rebound. And your next question comes from the line of Mark Lopasas with Jeffries. Hi, uh, thanks for taking my question. Um, 
Could you just, a uh, clarification, could you repeat what you said you thought the OPEX would grow in um, this fiscal year? And what is the, what's the, where's the focus of that investment? To what extent is it R&D versus SG&A and then uh, maybe one layer deeper? Where, where, where's the focus of the uh, higher OPEX? Thank you. Sure, I'll start off um, uh, to repeat what we indicated in our transcript. Uh, we plan uh, to increase OPEX in the high single digits over where we finished in terms of fiscal year uh, 19. Uh, that is related uh, to our opportunities that we see in front of us, uh, gaming, AI, uh, as well as uh, self-driving cars. Uh, our focus in terms of investment, uh, we are a, a very R&D heavy, significant company. Uh, but there are investments across the board, uh, both in R&D as well as what we need in terms of go-to-market strategies uh, to obtain these hard markets in front of us. And your next question comes to the line of Mitch Steves with RBC Capital Markets. Hey guys, thanks for taking my question. So I, I don't want to poke too many holes on the on the memory side and in the, in the downturn in gaming due to the crypto inventory. But if I think about kind of the gross margin profile, you guys almost reach 65%. So if I look out, let's call it a year or even let's call it 18 months to make it a more of a kind of a long-term target, is there any reason why you guys can't get back up to kind of the, the mid-60s level? Yeah, on your, on your gross margin um, uh, question, yes, we still have drivers within the mix of our products that allow us to grow our gross margin um, over the long term. Absolutely, and there is definitely a goal uh, for us to continue doing that. There's a focus in terms of both the cost components of what we do, but also um, moving uh, the entire portfolio into the higher value-added platforms that we sell. Uh, so over the long term, Absolutely, all of those things are still in place and intact that we can do. Um, and we'll look quarter to quarter uh, to give the best guidance that we can uh, to help you see that. And your next question comes to the line of Blaine Curtis with Barclays. Yeah, thanks for that question. Uh, obviously, a pause in, in data center, particularly with the hyperscale, is pretty well documented. I'm just kind of curious your perspective, particularly being AI is still a growth area versus more run rate being memory and CPUs. Um, you know, can you give us any perspective as to how widespread it is, maybe um, you know, number of customers or, or, or geographic perspective? I'm just kind of curious how um, AI is affected um, with this greater uh, slowdown. Thanks. Yeah, um, Blaine, the the uh, the hyperscalers, um, uh, their pause is is probably the most dramatic. Um, we still we still see a lot of activity in enterprise. It's just a much smaller base for us, uh, but we expect it to be a much larger base in the future. And the reason for that is because most of the enterprises today don't use deep learning. They use an approach called machine learning. They might use things like um, decision trees or graph analytics or um, regressions or clustering or, you know, things like that, algorithms like that. And, and they, they'll run data, data analytics applications um, for business intelligence on a large amount of data. And they might be running it on, a, on top of a Spark stack that was uh, created out of Berkeley and um, uh, open source from Databricks uh, and and so there's there's a if you if you recognize some of these things that's what that's what healthcare companies do and uh, financial services companies do and uh, retail companies do. They use it for fraud detection, uh, predicting inventory, trying to make the best matches between riders and and drivers, um, and uh, uh, trying to predict um, uh, which route to take uh, to do, deliver a, a, you know food dinner to you. And so those kind of applications, uh, most of the most of the uh, uh, developers today use machine learning and large and big data analytics. And so we we um, uh, we invested in this stack called Rapids and built our architecture uh, called T4. And um, uh, we're in the process of partnering with uh, large IT companies to take uh, the stack and the solution out to the world's enterprise. 
And so I expect, I expect enterprise to be a, a fairly exciting growth opportunity for us. Um, meanwhile, uh, the CSPs, uh, their, their pause will end. Uh, the amount of computation they do is, is increasing. Uh, more and more of them are using deep learning. And uh, we have uh, inference opportunity with, with uh, the work that we did with T4 and TensorRT. And so we've got a lot of exciting opportunities to go. And your next question comes line of Pierre Farragut with New Street Research. Uh, hi, thanks for uh, taking my question. Um, la, a question for Colette. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how your position with cloud data centers uh, evolved last year in financial year 2019. Uh, so if I look at uh, uh, cloud CapEx, they were up about 70%. If I look at uh, the CPU uh, going into the cloud, according to Intel, was up about 50%. <coughs> so I was wondering how much you guys have been increasing revenues within the, your cloud business. Did you grow faster than CPUs? Did you grow faster than overall CapEx? And then I have a follow-up on 2020. Sure. Let me, let me start on, on that piece. Um, as we talked about um, earlier on the call, um, our hyperscales, and our hyperscales, many of them are also cloud providers, uh, did start to slow down um, in terms of their purchasing in uh, the latter half of the year. But the overall growth rate, as you can see uh, from our data center business, grew more than 50% for the full year. Now, even with that strong growth, we are still a very small percentage of overall CapEx that we see in the cloud providers or the overall hyperscales. We are likely one of their top priorities of areas of where they need to grow in terms of in their data center as they focus on AI, as they focus on the cloud instances and the importance of that compute and necessary. But uh, we are still a very, very small percentage of it. Uh, so slowdown in the second half of the year, full year growth, uh, phenomenal growth of uh, 50%. Uh, and uh, we uh, track with their priorities. Uh, thanks, Kelly. But this 50% growth, that's for your overall data center business. Is that what, like, your specifically your cloud hyperscale business grew as well, or did that grow uh, even faster than that? Yeah, depending, depending on the quarter, uh, we will have a mix of what is uh, hyperscale growth or what is cloud. In the, and again, in the, core, in the fourth quarter, uh, that was not a growth op, um, opportunity for us, uh, but earlier in the year, definitely it was. Uh, great. And, and then uh, quickly, maybe uh, Jensen on 2020. Um, so, so you seem to be very cautious on uh, on the data center outlook. Um, when we listen to um, uh, players like Google and Facebook and others, they all seem to be still like uh, very keen to grow um, their overall spending this year. And when you we listen to other providers around you, they all seem to be. Uh, I mean, they all demonstrate a bit of a confidence that in the second half, uh, spending should, uh, should resume. Is that just because they are being more optimistic than you? Do they see something you don't see? Um, what do you hear from your clients about the second half? Well, we're, we're enthusiastic about the second half. We're, we're, we're enthusiastic about our position, and we're enthusiastic about the solution we offer. And, and here, as, as, as you know, we've also expanded our, our application and our market reach. Uh, we guided, I think the, the, probably the biggest takeaway take is we guided uh, flight to slightly down for the whole year, for the whole number. We do have four growth drivers, um, and, uh, and maybe the best way, to, the best way to, to think about it is we should just wait and see how it goes. You know, I, I think we've, we, uh, considering where we are, uh, I, I feel pretty good about our guidance. And, and, um, but I feel even better about our strategic position. And so I look forward to uh, working through the year with you guys. And our last question comes from line of Harlan, sir, with J.P. Morgan. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my question. Um, on the China gaming weakness, is it the slower economic environment, or is it sort of government policy related? Because we know that 
the China government has had a freeze on new gaming approvals, um, although they've recently started to approve new games. Um, this ban has been in place, I think, since the first half of last year. So it, given what you know of the business, how, how much of the China weakness is you know, coming from the China gaming bans versus just the overall slower economic environment? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't know that we we could tear that apart, tease that apart, Harlan. Uh, we, we just know that that China, the consumer market, is is um, relatively slow towards the end of the year, and and um, uh, but you know the the China economy is 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 in the final analysis a growth economy, and and so we're looking forward to to um, uh, it recovering, and gaming is one of the most important pastimes of that culture. Uh, and so, so I'm uh, I'm excited about about uh, our prospects there. You know, th all the things that we're seeing in, in the near term, uh, Colette has done a really good job describing. And uh, as we as we uh, leave the bottom, and um, uh, uh, you know, leave this inventory issue behind us, uh, we're super well positioned. We have a full stack of RTX. Uh, the touring architecture is fantastic. It is, it is uh, unquestionably uh, the best in the world. We have the best performance at every single price point, and we have um, uh, great notebooks that that uh, the market can now buy. And so I'm looking forward to to uh, reporting our status uh, with you guys uh, as the year goes on. It should be a good year. Thank you. I will now turn the call back over to Jensen for any closing remarks. 2018 was a record year, but it was a disappointing finish. This quarter, we expect to put the channel inventory issue behind us and get back on track. As the pioneer of accelerated computing, our position is unique and strong, and the opportunities ahead in graphics, high-performance computing, AI, and autonomous machines remain enormous. We are as enthusiastic about these growth opportunities as ever. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today. This concludes today's conference call. You may now disconnect.